Well, if you want to turn back with me in your Bibles to that chapter that we read, Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at those verses that we read from verse 19 through to the end. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through to the end. So this is a part of uh, what we all, I'm sure that we all know as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when Jesus was speaking and preaching to the people. And in summary, the Sermon on the Mount tells us really that Christ's kingdom has come, the kingdom of God has come, Christ is king, he is king of that kingdom, and he tells us how we should live as believers in his kingdom. But to live in a world where, or a society, should I say, that is anti-God, that is anti-Christ. So he tells us how we are to live in a world that is against us, in a world that hates Christians. Now chapter 6 actually deals with two common issues that all of us struggle with. In the first 18 verses, obviously we didn't read that, but it deals with a problem of hypocrisy. And that's something that we all have a problem with. So often we are one thing, perhaps one thing at church, and we go home and we're someone else. Or in the workplace, we're something different other than a Christian. Or perhaps even at home, we like to perhaps get home from church and maybe let your hair down or things like that. I don't, of course. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah. Anyway. But to be a a Christian, it requires sincere devotion, doesn't it? Sincere devotion to our God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these verses that that I've read, verse 19 through to the end, uh, it deals with a different problem, not hypocrisy, but a problem of anxiety. Again, that is something that many of us, all of us, at one stage or other or another, we suffer with this problem of anxiety. It tells us what the problems are, why it happens, but he also tells us that there is actually a cure for this very problem that we all suffer with. Now, if you were to go on to Google and type in anxiety, and you'll see that Google will say, and sort of secular opinion will say, well, actually, there's no cure for anxiety. There'll be treatments, there'll be drugs you can take, but it's something that you've got to live with. Well, the wonderful thing here is actually, Jesus says otherwise. The wonderful thing is that Jesus knows what his disciples are like. And he knows what you and I are like today. And he can deal with that. And the fact is we haven't changed. Have we? we haven't changed for over 2,000 years. Well, we haven't changed at all from right the, the very beginning. But since this time of Jesus speaking, we haven't changed. We still suffer the same problems that the disciples were suffering. The problems of hypocrisy like the Pharisees that Jesus speaks about in the early part of this chapter, and problems of anxiety. Anxiety, worrying. Worrying about tomorrow. So I want to look at the causes of anxiety and what the cure is. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the phrase, nip it in the bud. You need to nip something in the bud. If there is a problem, if we have a problem... And we don't want that problem to escalate, to become worse. We have to nip it in the bud. We have to get rid of it quickly. And that's what we need to deal with here. If we end up with a problem of anxiety, it needs to be sorted out quickly. Because if we read in Proverbs, it says that anxiety can lead 
to something far worse. Anxiety can lead to depression. Now, I don't want to really dwell on depression, but I know it's, a, it's, an, it's an awful thing. I know that there are many who suffer with it, and it's, uh, it can be terrible. But let's look at what hope there is for all of us here, if we suffer with any of these things. Now, the problem mainly is there's a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding on our part as human beings, okay? We, and, and, and Jesus uh, speaks to us and tells us that there are three misunderstandings here, and he deals with them. First of all, we have a wrong attitude, and we have a wrong perspective, and we have the wrong master. And then, at the end of the chapter, he speaks to us actually about the cure. So that's how I want to look at this. First of all, let's look at this wrong attitude. In verse 19 to 21, we read, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder this evening... Where is your treasure? What is your heart set upon? What do you really and truly desire? What are your ambitions in life? Are these things which perhaps um, are, are fulfilled in your business, your leisure, your leisure, your leisure time, your, perhaps your finances? Perhaps you really worry about the things which you need so that you may have a comfortable life here on earth. Do your lives revolve around these things? Unfortunately, that's the case for many people. Our, our lives do revolve around the material things of this world. We have things. We, we want more things. The more we have, the more we want, you could say. And we want to enjoy those things. Now, you could say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well... In a way, there's not. But what does Jesus uh, speak to us about in Luke 12 when he speaks to us about a, a farmer who was rich and what he wanted? He saw that he, he had really good crops. So, right, I'm going to build a barn, store it all, going to plant more, harvest more. Right, barn's not big enough. Let's build another one. Let's build a bigger one. Let's tear it down. And he kept on getting more and more and more. And then one day he thought, right, I'm going to retire now. I'll relax, I'll enjoy, enjoy life. And that very night he died. That very night his life was taken from him. What a foolish man. His life was built upon his wealth. He had a wrong attitude towards life. He thought it was all about himself, enjoying his own riches, his own achievements. It doesn't seem to be wrong on the surface to enjoy the things that we've been able to achieve. But if that is our life, then there's something seriously wrong. We build our lives on the material things. Material things which are temporary. The things which are temporal. These things are going to be destroyed. These things can be taken away from us. They can be lost. And of course, ultimately, they will be destroyed. Back at you, many of you would have heard of Pompeii, a city in Italy which was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius, I think. Mount Vesuvius. 
And many years after, you know, it was completely covered in ash and the people died instantly, but many years after, when they actually uh, started to excavate some of that um, city, and they, they, I'm not sure how they did it, but they managed to pour in some molds, they get some molds or something of, of however they did, I don't know how they did it, but figure that part. But they got these, these molds of these dead bodies, and some of them, they were under beds, they were cowering in places, some of them had, were clutching things. They were clutching their obje these objects, perhaps money. Perhaps they were gripping the things which they loved. They knew that their life was coming to an end, and some of them, they cowered in the corner while holding their, their possessions. That's all they were interested in. Their, their, their material blessings that they had achieved, they had perhaps made, uh, made through business or whatever, had not only that, they, they had gone, but then they met, one, they met their maker, didn't they? What do we build our lives around today? What are your ambitions? What are your ambitions as a person, but what are your ambitions really as a Christian? Or what should our ambitions be as believers, if we're all believers here? Well, surely they should be to be, to serve God, to glorify him, to be his witnesses in this world to tell others about the wonderful news of salvation because we owe it to them don't we god hasn't saved us because of any anything good in us they have just as much right to the gospel as we have that should be our ambition our ambition should be to please god in all that we do in all that we say we should honor and glorify him that would be a right attitude about our own lives. So Christ there deals with the wrong attitude. Now if you look at the next few verses from 22 and, well, 22 and 23, we'll see that he deals with the wrong perspective. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How do you view life what is your outlook upon life what is life all about is it all about the here and now well life's not about just slaving away in the world trying to make a living although you know we all need to do those things and this is actually very similar isn't it to uh, the verses that we just looked at the the wrong attitude but the wrong perspective there's a little bit more to it although we need to work we need to live we need to provide for our families. These are all things that we need to do. These are all good things to do. But life is not about work, eat and sleep and to repeat that day in, day out. That's not man's chief end, is it? Uh, a few years ago now, on I think it was question time or something like that, where we had, they had a number of, of uh, panellists. I think among them was Peter Hitchens and uh, Theresa May. And... It got to the end of the evening and their final question was, what brings true happiness? And I think Theresa May said something like, oh, well, being in a relationship, having family, having friends. And ultimately they all sort of went along that sort of line saying, yeah, friends, family, that's what's important in life. But then it got to Peter Hitchens and he said, faith in God, that's what's important. And of course, is it David Dimbleby? He said, well, that's not on the list. Well, of course it's not, but that is what was, that is 
what is most important, isn't it? Faith in God. That is our chief end, to love God, to serve him, to enjoy him forever. Now, yes, we have to work. We have a need to work and to provide for our, for our families, but our careers must not be or must not take preeminence over God. Our ambition should be to serve God. That is why we're here. We are his witnesses on earth. And that will not change. If you're a believer here this evening, please remember, I'm talking to myself as well, we've got to remember that we are bought with a price. We are not our own anymore. We have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. So we, we are owned by him. And we must do what he commands. And he has commanded us to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And that's not up in a pulpit like this. It's in our homes. It's in the workplace. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ. That is what we are here to do. As believers, we should be willing to give our lives to him. Paul says to us in Romans 12 that we should present our lives, our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. So if we have a right view on life, if we have a right perspective, then we will do those things. We've got to remember, haven't we, that the world, no matter how wonderful it seems sometimes, that's not, not often, it's not our home, is it? Everything we have, everything we see around us will one day perish. It'll be burnt up. We are only temporary residents here. We're on a pilgrimage. We are on a pilgrimage through this earth, heading to a heavenly home. Our concern should be not for this life, but for the next one, the one that is to come, because it's there where we'll spend eternity. We should be concerned with making sure that we are in a right relationship with God, because if we're not, we are told where we will go. We are told that we will spend an eternity in hell where we will be separated from God, where we will be punished. Well, we won't be separated from we'll be punished from him, but we'll be separated in the sense that we cannot know him as a loving God. We cannot know him as a loving saviour. At the end of this chapter, in verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we are to do. We are to seek first him. So Christ deals with a wrong attitude he deals with the wrong outlook upon life, a wrong perspective. And now in verse 24, he deals with serving the wrong master. It says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Who is your master today, this evening? Who do you seek to please? Who do you serve or what do you serve? What do you live for? Perhaps you live for money. You live for wealth. There are some people who think they can get rich by serving God. But that's a load of rubbish. We are, we're told here that we cannot live for, we're not, we cannot live for God, we cannot live to please God while living to seek our own gratification. 
We can't live to please ourselves and God at the same time. We cannot serve two masters. And ultimately, if we want to live for ourselves, to serve ourselves or serve anything else like money, live for money, ultimately we are serving Satan. We are serving the devil. Now Jesus is not saying here that if you have a job where you're paid plenty of money, that's wrong. He's not saying that that's wrong at all. He's just saying that if you were to have plenty of money and you were to love that, that would be the problem. That we are not to put things above Christ. Otherwise we will be serving the wrong master. He's not saying being talented is wrong. But let's use our talents wisely. Use them to the glory of God. We are to live for him. Living for ourselves is wrong. To have a life built completely around yourself, thinking perhaps, what's in it for me? That's, that's where we're, we're on dangerous ground. That's bad, that's dangerous territory, isn't it? We are to use our gifts, to use our resources wisely, and to use them for the glory of God, for the building up, maybe, of his kingdom. We need to spend more time preparing for the future. In Joshua, at the end of the, the book of Joshua, we, we see Joshua on his, on his deathbed. And he says to the people, doesn't he, choose this day who you will serve. If it's, if it's all these other gods that we've learnt about, then do it. But if it's God, you serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you were to turn, well, don't have to turn to it, I'll, I'll just read a few verses from Hebrews 11. And we see... Um, what the writer there says about Moses. He says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing, notice that, passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So if you want to live for yourself, if you want to serve the master's of this world which ultimately all come all boil, all boil down to Satan you can do those things but you will suffer the consequences if you do Moses saw actually living in Egypt experiencing the the riches of Egypt that he could so easily have done was actually emptiness and he saw and he and he saw that actually there are greater riches to be had in trusting God, in following him, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He saw what was beyond everything around him, looked to the Lord, and served him. So Christ deals with a wrong attitude, a wrong perspective, and a wrong master. So you can chase your dreams, you can chase your ambitions, but remember there is a price to pay. And as I've already explained, that price will be paid in hell, in separation from God. But we can turn to God. We can turn to God this evening and we can be saved. We're told in uh, Ecclesiastes that all is vanity. Everything around us is vanity. But there is one thing needful, Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus tells us that these things, a wrong attitude toward life, a wrong, a wrong outlook upon life, serving the wrong master, all these things 
will end in something like this anxiety. We have these problems. We have this problem of worrying about things that are to come. But he doesn't just leave it there, does he? If he goes on, if we go on to verse 25 up to the end, we read this, these wonderful verses which tell us actually there is a cure. There's a cure for this problem. And the cure for this problem is actually in two parts. Firstly, he says, do not fear. In, chapter, in verse 25 it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? These words that he says, it's something that he says no end of times to his disciples. In fact, he actually, starts, he actually uses this on several occasions as a greeting to his disciples. Do not fear, be not afraid, or words to, uh, to that, that, that same meaning. He says it no end of times. It's sad, isn't it, really, that so often he has to remind his disciples that they need not be afraid. They need not fear of what there is to come. But why does he say it so often? Because he knows that they are weak human beings. Because they lack understanding. And we're no different. We are weak human beings. We lack understanding. Jesus Christ had to remind his disciples time and time again of this truth. Do not fear. Why not? Well, because he is God. We are but weak, aren't we? Frail, forgetful. And we need these words to be read to us. We need to read these words so often. Every day, do not fear. It says there, therefore. In other words, because of these reasons, because of what's already been said before, do not worry. Do not worry because the Lord will provide. The Lord will sort things out. The Lord is the one who gives us the things we need. All the things that we worry about are generally, they're material things, aren't they? And they'll be destroyed. They're not eternal. They're temporal. In um, Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. Chapter 4, verse 6, do not worry about it. And then later on in that chapter, he says in verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, mean, it, it doesn't mean that we can, through the power of God, go and get rich and do the things that we want. It's not what that means at all. That's referring to Paul being poor, or being rich, he's known times of prosperity, he's known times of, of, uh, of, of real dearth, you know, of real times of, of anguish. But in whatever case he was in, he could carry on serving God because of the strength that God gave. He could do those things through Christ who strengthens him. It's quite simple, isn't it, really? This first thing that Jesus says, he says, do not fear. That's all we've got to do. We don't need to fear because God is in control. I don't know if any of you have done abseiling. I expect some of you have. Um, we went up to Yorkshire a couple of years ago and we went to a place called, I think it's called Brimham Rocks or something, and they had some uh, abseiling which was going on, which the children were allowed to do, and it was free. So we went and, uh, <laughs> went and let the children have a go. 
But it's interesting how you see them trying to abseil down this cliff face. You know, it's not a very high cliff face, perhaps only the size of this room. But you can see what they want to do, and you can see what they need to do. Now, naturally, they just want to start trying to stay upright. But that's a problem. They've, all they've got to do is do what the instructor says. And the instructor says you've got to lean back. It may seem like it's the wrong thing to do, but you need to lean back with your feet on the face of the rock so that you're almost horizontal. And then you can walk down. And it really is that easy. It really is that simple. That's all they had to do. They just had to do exactly as their instructor told them. But so often they kept on slipping because they, should, they felt they should be upright. All we need to do is just listen to the Lord, to listen to what he says. And he says, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. I wonder this morning, what, this evening, sorry, what are we actually anxious about? Ultimately, I think we're all anxious about the same thing. We're anxious about the future. What lies ahead? You know, a few, not even a few, I mean, was it last year or the year not, not that long ago, fuel prices were pretty good. They weren't too bad, and then suddenly they rocketed. The cost of living has suddenly rocketed, hasn't it, over the last couple of years. Perhaps you're worrying about the cost of food, the cost of living, which appears to be rising and rising and rising. We are anxious today because of tomorrow, because of something that hasn't happened yet. We're not anxious because of yesterday. Who cares about that? You know, we might worry about the, the outcome of things that happened yesterday, but that's again, that's in the future, isn't it? We worry about the future. And so often anxiety can dominate in our lives. Are you anxious at all about your sin? Well, I hope, for those of you who do not know God, I hope you are. But I hope for those of you who know, know, know the Lord, I hope you're not because your sin has been dealt with. But if you are anxious about your sin, anxious about the future, where you will be, it can all be sorted out today if you turn to the Lord in repentance and faith and believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. So often people can think of God, can't they, as a, a harsh God or a, a tyrant. Someone who demands justice, someone who demands penalties, and he does demand justice. He does demand penalties to be paid. But he came and he did those things himself, didn't he? And the Lord Jesus Christ, he came. But this is what the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus, about, well, about God. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. In Psalm 103, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. They are not the words of a harsh God. They are the words of a loving Father in heaven. 
Now, as I said earlier, you know, the world can offer some sort of treatment, some sort of drug, I suppose, for anxiety, to sort of whatever the chemical imbalance is in the brain or, or whatever that is. Uh, people say you can take drugs. People say you need therapy or even exercise. Exercise, perhaps, is the best out of those three. But Jesus says, just don't worry. Don't worry because he is in control. Do not worry because he knows the, the end from the beginning. It says do not. It doesn't say well, try not to worry. No, it says don't. Do not worry. To worry and to be anxious. Let's think about that. It's actually to doubt God, isn't it? If we are worrying about the future, if we are anxious about tomorrow, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will put on, we're actually doubting the word of God. And to doubt the word of God is surely to take our eyes off him. And again, surely, if we are doubting the word of God, if we take our eyes off him, what is that? That's sin. And as believers, we can't be dabbling around with that kind of thing. He says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We never see birds running around or flying around with bags full of berries, do we? We never do. And because they don't have to. Because the Lord provides for them. We store up things for the future and we still worry. We still are anxious for these things but we are told that we shouldn't. And he says, actually, in verse 30, that Solomon, is it 30? Now, if God, clothes, now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? But he goes on to say that Solomon, in all his glory, was, not, was nothing compared to the lilies of the field. Solomon had everything, yet he was nothing. I'm sure some of you have read Arthur Conan Doyle or your fans of Sherlock Holmes or anything like that. But in Sherlock Holmes, he says to Dr. Watson on one occasion, you see, but you do not observe. And that's the case with many of us here, isn't it? How many of you, have, you know, you, many of you have come to this church perhaps all your life. But if I were to ask you how many chairs are in this building, you would never be able to tell me. You know, we see every day how the Lord provides, how the Lord blesses us. But have we really observed how he really does love us? How he really cares? You know, he is faithful. We are to believe, we are to trust in him and not be anxious. We are to be anxious for nothing, as uh, Paul writes. So we are to just do as he says, to do not fear. And secondly, and lastly, if we are to trust him, we must put him first. In verse 33, I've already read it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things that we need, the things that are necessary for us, he will provide for us. But also, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God. So in other words, what is the most important thing? Your food? Your clothing? No. It's actually your salvation. That is the first, that should be first and foremost in our lives, in our thoughts. 
our salvation, the building up of the church of God. That should be our chief concern. We are to seek him, to know him, to be in a deeper relationship with him. Verse 32, it says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows exactly what we need. So we aren't to worry. We aren't to be anxious for tomorrow. Because he knows our needs. And if we seek him, if we trust him, if we look to him, he will give us the things we need. And we have seen this in the Bible. We see this in the Old Testament. As we see the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, he provided their food day in and day out. Manna, every single day. We read in Deuteronomy, as your days, so shall your strength be. He will give us all that we need for tomorrow. Whatever lies ahead, he has promised. So keep looking unto him. Keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep trusting in him. Believe in him. You know in uh, Samuel, when Hannah prayed to the Lord, she prayed because she could not have a son or a child. But after she prayed, we read that, that she went away and she was no longer sad because she had committed everything to God. <coughs> she was happy. She didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but she was happy because she was trusting in the Lord to appear. It says she was no longer sad in Samuel, 1 Samuel 1 verse 18. Surely for us, for you and me this evening, to walk around, to be downcast, to be worrying about the future, to be full of anxiety is actually it's a bad witness, isn't it? It's almost as if some of us perhaps are walking around like Eeyore, you know, completely dull and dreary, just worrying about everything. It's almost as if life is all about us, because that's what we worry about, and we want the Lord to help. And of course he will help, but we aren't to worry. We should not live in a self-centred um, cocoon. Christ must reign. We are to serve him. Jesus said in a, a couple of chapters later, Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. How he provides for them, yet we are of much more value. You and I are cared for by Almighty God. He created heaven and earth. Why do we doubt? Why do we fear? Why do we worry about tomorrow? So by doing as God instructed, by doing exactly what he says, which is to seek first his kingdom, to look to him, to not worry, then we will have a right perspective. We will have a right attitude upon life our treasure will be in the right place. Our treasure will be in heaven. And that's in a place where no one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from you or me. We will have that inheritance to look forward to. In fact, I think last time I was here, I was, I was speaking from 1 Peter, where he speaks about the inheritance. Remember your inheritance. This is what you've got to look forward to. Look beyond the struggles of this life toward that inheritance. We'll have a right perspective. Everything that we have in this life will be held with a loose hand, knowing that these things will perish. Our money, our, our whatever that may be, it's all temporal, it's all going to be destroyed. 
And by seeking first his kingdom, we will be serving the right master, God, and no one else. And he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We read that in Matthew. And if we do those things, then surely our anxiety, our worry about the future, all those things will disappear. Because we know that God is in control. That God will provide for his people. God will provide for you and for me. God will give us all that we need. Not all that we want. All that we need. But having these things wrong can do so much damage. Damage to our own spiritual life, but also damage to those who we witness to day in, day out. And by witnessing to, I mean, even just being in the company of. So if you have children and you're constantly worrying about the future, what is this telling your children? Perhaps it's telling them that the God you trust in is not as powerful as he makes out to be. But we want our children to grow up and to know that the God we trust in is mighty, almighty. He's mighty to save and he can do all things and give us all that we need and he does. I'm going to close really by reading a few verses uh, from Proverbs 3, very well known. I can recite them but I won't because I know I'll get it wrong. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. There's no question there, is there? There's no question whether he will or he won't. It's definitely he will. God has promised. So let's trust him. Let's believe him. Let's take him at every word he says because he is truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you, sh- that you explain to us so clearly. And we pray, Lord, that each of us here this evening would, would not be fearful of the, the future, that we would be trusting in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to fear, we pray, as we look to you. Help us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that we may be built up, that your kingdom may be built up. And as we come to you, Lord, help us to remember that our treasure is not here on earth, that we have a treasure in heaven, and that we look forward to that day when you will appear, that you will take us home to glory.